starting at point guard for the Austin Archaeologists, we have Jordan. Woo! What's up, everybody? Hope you're enjoying this podcast episode because we're having fun with it, obviously. This is Jordan. And uh, this is Julian. And today we'll be talking about a hobby we're both interested in, and that is basketball. Yeah, and we're going to be kind of talking about... I mean, I'm sure if you heard the intro, a little bit of a remember the time, we're going to be talking about kind of specifically the NBA, especially since it's NBA All-Star Weekend and how the NBA has matured and grown and changed over the years to become what we have today and to become something where DJ Khaled judges people on what they do. Yeah, if you don't know who DJ Khaled is, he is a music producer who isn't necessarily known in the basketball scene to be a top performer, but he judges dunk contests, so it's a controversy. But we're going to start with a hard-hitting question. Are NBA players overpaid? Ooh, that's that's tough. Um, I do not believe so, and just the fact of what they do is provide a service. And as long as people are getting an equal amount of service out of what they're providing, then I I don't think I see a problem with what they're overpaid. Granted, I mean, we had a conversation last night about um, the comparison or the like absolute just dichotomy of Bill Russell, an NBA legend, is getting paid. Well, was getting paid, I think, a hundred grand. At yeah, his, his uh, yeah, his best salary for a year or whatever his contract was was like a hundred grand, and he is the most decorated. NBA athlete of all time. Yeah, I mean, this guy has trophies named after him. And you see people that, like, like people that are not good on a Bill Russell level whatsoever uh, getting paid millions of dollars. So you see very interesting, like, how it's changed and morphed. But honestly, I just think that's just how the times are going. And you know, it's a bigger platform that these guys are playing on, and there's a lot more reach that they have than back in the day, and that's why they're getting paid more. Yeah, granted, I think the old school generation of basketball kind of led the way into the big commercialization and profitable thing that is the NBA now with all the sponsors, worldwide viewership, this, this, and that. So leverage these players to get paid. I do think in some respects that what they do get paid is kind of ridiculous compared – I mean – I mean, soccer players get paid a lot, but some basketball players get a lot of money. Um, I just wish maybe that we don't hear a whole lot about it, but I feel like there needs to be a bigger contribution. Maybe in your contract, there's something to give back somewhere or to do something because I know most athletes do give back, but there's some athletes that are getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to sit on the bench. And I mean, granted, they worked hard, but there's this kind of thing between the community and you know, you have teachers or whatever struggling or like communities or places that are struggling with water. And then you have like this dude who's go- who's gone bankrupt from God knows how much money he earned. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would agree, but maybe that's just my like altruistic side saying that I hope these people do something good with their money that benefits everybody. But at the same time, I feel like it's just like somebody wins the lottery. Like, are they forced or imposed to do something good with their money? Because, I mean, basically what these guys have done is with an extraordinary amount of hard work and winning the genetic jackpot in some cases, they've, you know, got such a high salary. So that's kind of how I compare it a little bit. 
But yeah, I do believe like them being as powerful and like, you know, people look up to them in a huge way that I hope that they do something that helps more than just themselves. Yeah. And you touched on kind of the genetic jackpot. We're going to roll time back a little bit to early basketball stages and talk about the differences from, you know, early basketball, Bill Russell and kind of evolving into maybe the Jordan era or um, the Stockton era and then kind of early 2000s. And now, like, what is the athletic variation that you're seeing over these time frames? Well, I mean, just so you guys know, Bill Russell is a, was a 6'9 big man who was an extraordinary, like, in defense and offense just because of, you know, he was physically dominant and skilled, better skilled than people. And as you progress in the eras, I mean, you find uh, more players that are pushing those extremes. Like in the Jordan era, you find Manute Bull, who is, I believe, 7'6". Yeah, or seven four somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, and I mean at that height it doesn't matter because yeah. you're taller than everyone. Yeah. But I mean you could see just the divergence of just kind of two errors. And granted, they're they're a bit of ways apart. But I mean you find well at least I found that the athletic and like the extremes of the body kind of stretch out. And maybe that is because of pay. You know those people that were six or seven foot back in the day. There weren't as many of them. First off, maybe. And then secondly, the NBA didn't pay enough for them to, you know, fully support themselves and they could have been doing something different, like, you know, rescuing cats out of trees. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, too, you have to look at, like, I think it touches back on pay or priorities, but back in, you know, the 60s, um, some of these, maybe the 50s or 40s, some of these players playing professional basketball at the time, you know, probably had another job and were not necessarily the most athletic. They were just kind of the best at basketball or understood it the best. So you'd see like Wilt Chamberlain or yeah, Bill Russell playing against what some people would call milkmen, which I mean, it's a disrespect to them because they're in the league. But like, granted, I kind of see where it's coming from, where now you move into another area where you get paid a little bit better. It's kind of viewed higher in the public eye, stream, it's on national television. And you see these genetic freaks like, Carl Malone, who was just stacked, like David Robinson, Sean uh, Kemp. Yeah, you get these guys who are just freaks of nature and just strong. And maybe that was kind of that era of just being gritty and just lifting the iron all the time. And then you kind of move into the generation of today where you get these six, ten, seven footers that are handling the ball and shooting the ball well instead of back then, like if you caught a seven footer that was shooting the ball well, like he controlled the game. As now it's like, all right, cool. We just got to watch out for that guy a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I think that that kind of happened too uh, because of the platform as well. I mean, people from different places in the world, not just America or North America, the USA, particularly were participating in the NBA. So you get different cultures like in Europe. I mean, it's it's kind of synonymous with the European big man as somebody who can shoot, who has really solid fundamentals and maybe even dribble the ball a little bit. And over here, I think it's a little more fundamentalist. Like, for instance, you look at somebody like Dwight Howard. I would say he's a very solid, standard, almost traditional big man. But then you look at somebody like uh, Porzingis or, you know, even Joel Embiid, who are bringing just a whole different facet to the game of, you know, being a perimeter scorer as well and handling the ball decently. Yeah. So those three you just named are seven foot 
seven foot two players in the NBA that are ridiculous in size and skill ability. And Dwight Howard is more so the biggest freak of nature out of them, or was that dude would jump out of gyms and dunk on twelve foot hoops, which is supremely underrated. Like if you know what a ten foot hoop is, going to twelve feet is unreal. And you have an Embiid who's just this huge guy from Africa, has been playing basketball for like six years now five years is in the (laughs) nba and uh yeah you get this kind of just mixture the culture is really coming in and i think it's really helped grow the game to make a little bit more diverse and different skill sets um do you think that what do you think the difference between i'm not asking which is better the difference between jordan's era and the current era of play and playing style and players so first off, I do believe that just the way that the game's been kind of controlled and led to, I think Jordan era game was a lot rougher and a lot tougher. Um, but at the same time, I do not believe it was played at like the speed and the explosiveness that it is today. So you kind of take kind of the, you know, you go down the key in Jordan's era and expect to, you know, be on your back after taking it to the hoop. Um, Compared to this era where uh, you see somebody going to the key, expect them to like cock back and bang out really hard. So I think that those are the two, like if you were to watch them side by side, you could probably see that early on at first and um, like kind of the culture. But I'm really curious on what you have to say about that as well. I would say Jordan era. So I'd say pre 2000s because he retired in 2003. So I'd say like. 80s to night like i'd say even 70s to 90s players were in that time a lot more passionate about the game and loyal it wasn't i guess to their benefit it wasn't as much of a business back then so you would see all these nitty-gritty fights and like you'd be checking or hitting people that came into the key or under the hoop and like protecting and playing for your team um so it made the game a lot more passionate and you know team oriented as today is I mean, it's been leveraged. It's more of a business. So these players are like to their on their side, like these players get traded around like, you know, candy at a garage sale. They uh, they could be as loyal as they want. And then like two months later, they can get traded away. So it's hard to create this bond or passion between um, the team you're playing for, the organization and where you're at because you don't know if you're going to be there. And it's also on that thing where. Jordan leveraged it. I mean, I don't know why it wasn't leveraged when Bill Russell, after Bill Russell played, but now like today is really dominant on the ring system. Like back then it was like, oh, you don't have a ring. You're still really good. But today, like you hear all the time, like, oh, Carmelo Anthony or like uh, Chris Paul or these different players, like you don't have an NBA championship ring. So you're just going to have to keep moving teams. And that is what forces players to leave organizations to go to the best ability. And that's kind of the business point of basketball in today's. I think that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely do see that and the formation of super teams to kind of get that ring. What is your take on that? Do you think that it impedes the game? The fact that you have somebody who like a superstar going to a superstar team and you're like, well, that just busts all the fun out of basically seeing what team makes it and what teams coach better and who develops more. Or do you kind of enjoy the perennial powerhouses that are going back to back? Well, I think it's uh, it's hard to look. I think it's hard to judge. Um, like we'll take it basis. The Warriors have 
four NBA All-Stars on their team. They've won, I think, three or two, two or three championships over the past couple of years, um, too. And I think it's crazy that, like, Kevin Durant is a seven-foot, like, freak of nature playing and that he went there. But at the same time, it's like they play really good basketball. It's not like a super team that plays bad basketball. They're just athletically better. They play really good basketball. And I think it's not, I think it was bound to happen. Like it's eventually going to happen where if you're, if you're focusing on rings, you're going to get some elite players together to get a ring. And it might be washed a little bit because that's what you're supposed to do. But it makes it a little bit more fun because there's a little bit more pressure on them. And I think it's just an area where the NBA has to change, maybe format you know, the playoffs different or something along those lines where you get for sure the two best teams playing because right now the way the NBA playoffs is set up is if you're there's the West Division and the East Division. And obviously whoever comes out of the West Division, so out of that top eight who wins through playoffs there plays one of the best from the East Division. And necessarily the over the past five years, the East hasn't been the greatest for competition. So there's a lot of competition in the West and it comes over to the East and it's like LeBron James is the East basically and things are being moved there. But I think you're seeing this shift to where you might get a little bit more powerhouses or teams have to make moves to get there. Um, It's just the way it happened was kind of quick, but it is what it is to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it takes some of the romanticism out of the game on if, you know, you get this guy, maybe a lottery pick, and he you create him, and he creates himself to be something who's just amazing, like kind of a Steph Curry story. And then with him and maybe a few other people that you kind of accrue or maybe you have in your system, you create something that, you know, is a championship team. Um, and, you know, pulling people from which or whatever team, I mean, I understand totally on a career aspect that they have pressure to get that ring nowadays. It's a it's something that's important. Like you said, you know, the Carmelo Anthony's or, you know, the Carl Malone's and people like that. Uh, I think that they think that they'll have an asterisk next to their career, which I mean, I necessarily don't wish that because that influences their decisions on the court. And, you know, they make silly moves or maybe not even silly, maybe career oriented moves. But yeah, I just kind of I really enjoyed the the days of, you know, having your group of guys and, you know, being a little bit more loyal, like you said, back in the day and kind of starting from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see what you're saying on there. I just think I think the thing, too, is you have to count in the NBA is so big now that I think it's hard to organically build a a great championship you know because you have every single year hundreds of players or the next things are coming to the draft and people are drafting on them and like people are playing basketball to faster you know more intense level over the course of their life so say you get to the nba and you're 19 you've probably been playing basketball for 14 years at that point um and you come into the league and you look at players like Gray Godin or uh, Markel Fultz or um, just various other players that get drafted and get injured because, you know, your body takes beating for so long and that's your whole entire, I don't know, pick or your premise to build around this guy and he gets hurt makes it really hard. Or you get these players that had a gr- one great college season and come to the NBA and just can't, you know, can't hang. And I think it's that's what makes it difficult is this glorification of the NBA. Let's. A lot more people think they can make it, but they can't really 
you know, withstand the league. And that's why you have these perennial superstars that have been around for a while. And, you know, great rookies come every now and again, but it seems like they're coming less and less often than before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a great point that you made uh, with kind of the, you know, the position that the teams are in with they put all their eggs in one basket, maybe for one guy. And if for some reason it doesn't work out like a, like, you know, somebody who thought was going to be an absolute dominant player like Kwame Brown or something like that, whether it be f- through injury or just other things that they don't like, you know, live up to those expectations. That's tough. Uh, I do really enjoy or I want to talk a little bit more into the fact of, you know, I do believe that what you said about, you know, seeing all these rookies come in and, you know, maybe them not being all dominant or maybe that there's a little bit of a dilution in the incoming classes now. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think, uh, one, I think if to get to the NBA, I think you can either go, you should be able to go straight out of high school and forego playing college basketball or have to go to college for three years. One, it'll make, it will weed out the field of those kids that are in high school and think they can make it. Like if they make it, they deserve it. But if they can't make it, like that's your fault. You should have kind of understood that. Like your friends around you should have. And it makes college basketball better because now everyone who's anyone who has good seasons one and done. Um, but I think that stigma of coming in is everyone who comes into the draft is the best player on their college team and was the best player on their AU team and was the best player in high school and best player in this, this and that. And like they have this, you know, this ego or something along those lines, especially if you get picked on the top 20 picks like you're making bank your life's pretty much set um i think they just come in with this kind of stigma and then you get checked when you come in and you're facing off against someone who's been a superstar since 2003 and like lebron james or 2007 like kd or these other guys that have known the game and were truly gifted and it's these people are taking care of their bodies so veterans are staying longer so you get you know some rookies that come in and are benched or play come off the bench for the first two years because you know the person in front of them knows the game better um and then that kind of dilutes their ego and you get this power struggle i think that kind of ruins some of these incoming players whether it be foreign or a rookie out of college um but i also think there's some players with that ego that come in and like they're just naturally gifted and can show what they're about yeah yeah, I do agree with some of those points just because, I mean, you have veterans that are staying longer in um, the way that it's built nowadays. I mean, you don't I do enjoy the fact that some of our best players and I do like that, you know, if somebody's good enough in the, from high school that they can go to the league. I do understand, though, that that puts pressure on a lot of players um, to forego college, which is not a usually a good thing. Yeah. You know, not a usually a good move if you are putting all your eggs in one basket for the NBA. And so that's why I do believe that that's not a allowance anymore is just because we're trying to protect the players who, you know, might have might have been very marginal. And then it kind of set them up for a really rough life once basketball was over because of how much they committed themselves. Yeah, but the way I look at it, though, is like people used to do it. And I think the thing is, like you really it's really an ego check right like you have to know you're you know maybe the nba holds a conference or something but like you have to know that you're good enough to go to you know fulfill that but like i think it's it's dumb if this player 
comes out of high school and thinks he can go out of high school and then goes to the college and has like a decent season, you know, and it's like just a big name from high school still. Cause for some reason that still carries around like after their first year, like he was great in high school and he did all right in college. And he's like the number 14 pick. And then you just don't hear about him again. And I think that's the problem is that you put these kids who go like Ben Simmons, who's an Australian born player, who was a number one pick who came out and said after his, he went to a subpar division one school in LSU, didn't make the NCAA championship, didn't make his dropped his team out of the secondary tournament and still got picked number one. Granted, he's really good, but he came out and said, you know, after he got picked, he said, I don't know why I had to go to college. Like I went to class for five months. I didn't finish the term. Like I was there just to play basketball. Tutors pretty much helped me through the whole entire thing. And now I'm here. So it's like kind of that cost benefit of, I think it's unfair for a lot of players in college that that happens where you just have a kid who's not really going to school and like, say you're a hardworking student athlete who isn't going to the NBA, but they come in and, you know, take your time for X amount of while and then go, you know, to the league. I just think it's a weird process. Yeah. I mean, there has to be hoops that you jump through though. Cause if, we were going to just say like, Oh, anybody can declare, declare for the draft anytime. I believe, I truly believe that there would be one more ball <laughs> in the draft <laughs> yeah. in LaMelo. And I'm not saying that just because it's a hot topic and you know, the ball family is talked about a lot, but I believe that some people would not make good moves and not even finish high school. Yeah. Well, the thing is though, like if you go and out at like, say you were able to go, before your senior season of high school like you can still go back and play high school but like i think it's that thing like say he does want to go to the league and like most people saying he isn't going to make it like that's his choice right you go you don't make it and you try to go play in this concept of oh the d league's probably easy to get into now that's all the people that are really good in college or from overseas that can't make it to the nba then they're like oh i'll go play in the the euro leagues and you're like that game is completely different now so it's like Maybe the way I look at it is a little more educated than like coming out of the struggle where I wasn't in that situation. But like, it's still one of those things you have to factor in that go try to make it to the NBA. And if you don't, you get weeded out. Like, that's what used to happen in before. Like, all those kids that tried to go to the NBA out of high school just couldn't make it. And that was, you know, their decision. They probably look back on it now like, yeah, I obviously wasn't good enough to go. So, yeah. And I, I guess if if it was an option for them to go to the EuroLeague and play, but I know, I believe after you're done, like after you commit to the draft, you cannot play any more college ball. No. You can't. You can't. You can't. Yeah, so if okay. you commit to That's the draft, like you forego going to college and you have to find another op. Well, you can't. No, forego going to college, but well, you can't play yeah. college sports. And that's yeah. where that's where I think it's a little scarier. And I think it helps out is because these people who, you know, have the tough <laughs> have a tough experience of realizing that they don't belong in this league yet are now like, oh shoot, I can't work on a degree because I can't play college ball, so nobody's gonna pay me to go to school. Maybe I go over to the Euro League, but you like you said, it's a lot different. And the D League is a whole beast of its own. Yeah. So, but not to belabor the point, um, what is your take on where the NBA is going now? I think in 10 years, the NBA is going to be 
the living area of giants the way the game of basketball is progressing is to you have guys coming from all over the world it's a huge focus like if you're a seven footer in africa and some scout sees you and says hey you could probably play in the nba and you're like you can make 45 million dollars a year like they're gonna focus go stop playing soccer and go to the like try to make it to the nba right and i think you already have these role models of foreign players and obviously players in the u.s that are six foot ten seven feet tall and have somewhat of ability to play and like average height is raising so i think you know the average height in the 80s to 90s was like six three average height now is six nine um so i think 10 years you're going to be looking at players that are six eleven seven feet just running up and down the court like no positions just kind of running and gunning as seven footers doing their thing wow that's in 10 years you see that happening so i do believe that that's where the league's going i mean you see people like Giannis, who are absolute freaks of nature this this guy jumped over a six six nba player a couple weeks ago um and will be playing tonight in the nba all-star game i just like and I do believe like that's probably where it's going to be headed because it's only gotten bigger, stronger, and faster since you know the age of Bill Russell. Um, but I I think that that would take out the fun of it all because it would just be you know oh who's like I wonder which seven footer is going to be better. And I mean, <laughs> granted, you'll have personality, you'll have skill, you'll have loyalty to whatever team you watch if you follow a specific team. But I think that that you know. There's a little bit more nuance to the game when you have somebody, you know, when there's different sizes. Well, yeah, I think the thing you have to look at, you touched on earlier, though, is like Bill Russell, when he played, was a 6'9 big man, right? And now the average height is 6'8 or 6'9. And I think it's, I think there's still going to be diversity around it. Like the dudes that are 6'4, which will be crazy that they're the small ones at the time. I don't know. Six feet might just be abolished by that time. <laughs> but. But I think you still have this diversity of sizes, but it's going to be predominantly like big guys controlling the the time. Yeah, I, that's fair. I could definitely see that happening. It's funny how you said abolish. Like, it'll be a rule. <laughs> if you were six foot, you were not allowed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to think about it. Look at like a seven, like Giannis, who's 6'11", has like a wingspan of 7'6", guarding, you know, some six foot dude, like him guarding Nate Robinson at a good level now. It's almost unfair. But Nate is a lot quicker. And I think that you will have those Russell Westbrooks in the yeah. league still. Because, I mean, I I don't know how else to say it. But he's probably one of the most athletic people I've ever witnessed do anything yeah. in my life. And so maybe you find that those other guys go to different sports like football. Where it's not as much of a height difference. Or you need to have size. But, I mean, granted, you need to have size, but you don't need to be 6'8 to be a professional football player. Um, I also think in talking about the future, I do think something's going to change in the playoffs or officiating or game style or something. Because right now it's just NBA does this thing where during the playoffs, or I think most games they just announce, but during the playoffs they'll give a report at the end of the game like there is this many missed calls and this many like I think if you're able to see that and say there's a missed call like you either 
don't acknowledge it and don't throw your refs under the bus or you make the game perfect from the go. Like you, I mean, it would suck, but you have to stop the game and be like, that is a foul. Like it doesn't help any team or any player. Like I know I'd be extremely upset if I had lost the game. They're like, yeah, we missed 12 calls for your team. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, there eight of them were shooting fouls. So that's 16 free throws you missed out out and you lose by four. It's like, you know? Yeah, definitely. But, are you alluding to maybe having technology play a role in officiating the game? I was thinking more on the other side, like go to what they do in the eighties and nineties or, you know, six years ago. Just don't, don't let us know that you miss calls. Like, yeah, we, you're human. You're going to miss calls, but don't come out and be like, yeah, they missed this many calls, especially this one at this point. And yeah, so-and-so was out of bounds, this, this, and that. Like, if you're going to say that, I think you should go to technology like if you're going to, you know, you found it somewhere, you're going to have to let us know or just don't say it at all and let us just be like, ah, oh, we lost, you know. Gotcha. That that makes sense. Um, how do you think pay is going to change overall in the NBA? Um, I think the NBA in a few, uh, a couple decades will become the biggest sport in America. Um, I think NFL is on its way out. I think just with technology and safety concerns, a lot of people aren't letting their kids play football at a younger age, which will allude to less people playing in the long run. And players are playing for a short amount of time. We're getting smarter. I think the MLB has to change. It's just kind of slow. Um, even if you're a baseball fan, and you have to be a really big fan to watch every baseball game on TV. As basketball, you can kind of just tune in and be like, oh, this is fast-paced. They're scoring. So I think a lot of advertisers and TV networks and different, you know, streaming services are going to go towards the NBA um, and bring in a lot more revenue that way. Maybe expand some teams, see like Seattle get a team back or go to some markets um, like Vegas or something that don't have teams. And I think players pay in general is going to increase along with like, you know, your Nikes and your Adidas will probably up their sponsor levels or they'll be making more money or a new brand will come in and be paying athletes more. And then these figures will be relatively big, which was going to be my next question was how do you think you would handle being noticeably known by like a billion people? Like say you're LeBron James, right? You go anywhere in the world about, and someone is going to vaguely recognize who you are. How do you think like handling that pressure is? Um, I think the vets uh, would be extremely hard because you're under the microscope at all times. So regardless of what your current condition is, whether you're having a good day, bad day, or, you know, you're just cranky because you haven't eaten for a little bit, you're under that microscope and, uh, that's tough. And there will always be somebody to critique what you say or do, which is also tough and quite unfair, I would say. Uh, at the same time, I just think that it comes with the territory, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, do you think this would have affected older players more than like, if you look at like your Curry's or your, you know, LeBron's, um, and you see like, they're pretty much perfect in their image. Like they haven't really had any slip ups, which is crazy. But then you look back to like, I mean, Kobe's great, but Kobe yeah. obviously had his slip up in a time where social media was kind of dormant. Or like back in the 90s, 80s, where people are partying, like you have Jordan and the Bulls or like um, Dennis Rodman uh, or like your Detroit Pistons. Like, how do you think the influence of social media now would have changed things back then? Um, I think that those players would have gotten more money. 
just in the fact because their voices could be heard better uh what they're doing would be seen better and so they i mean the natural point of that would be to exploit you know dennis rodman could come out with his own leopard print hair dye kit or something like that and you know do you think they'd be in more or less trouble um i think that they would probably be in a sense of like public condemnation uh a little bit more trouble yeah but at the end of the day unless you do something that's pretty obscene and you know deplorable i think that you know it's something that probably wouldn't affect them in a grand scheme way of you know jail time or anything like that yeah that's true um where do you see the nba going um uh, i do see it getting more athletic and more faster uh i believe that there might be a fundamental change maybe on like where you know how it's all structured as far as maybe the east coast and west coast uh maybe there's some reshuffling of teams or maybe they make a different conference and stuff just so it's a little bit more interesting in the fact that you know they'll they'll be more moving pieces a little bit more dynamic i do believe that they'll be getting paid more just because of the way the nba is growing and like you said i i truly believe that it'll be the most popular sport or at least professional sport in the u.s and in other countries as well the nba specifically uh as well as you know, them getting paid more, them getting bigger, faster, stronger, them kind of changing the fundamental ways. Well, not fundamentally, like you still have to dribble when you walk and stuff like that. But I think it's just going to kind of be an NBA that we could compare to now. Like if today's NBA was on steroids and a myriad of aspects, that's what I think the future NBA would look like. This is a random thought. Do you think there's a time where average height grows and they change the rim size? Like height? Yeah, like like they go like 10 to 11 feet. I really hope not. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would be. It would probably make it a way different game than it is now. Because I feel like it'd be more perimeter shooting, which it already has leaned to. I mean, you don't see like dominant low post big men like you did back in the day, like with the Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem, uh, people, Kakeem, Elijah Wan. Um, But I, yeah, I just see it being more of a shooter's game, which is it's kind of forming into. Well, I think though, like, I think the 10 foot hoop was established, obviously it was established early on when people were five nine or five ten playing and that's why it's a lot more exciting today is it hasn't been adjusted so you have these dudes like yeah Hakeem Olajuwon Wilt um Shaq like these just giant seven footers who barely have to jump but when they jump they break backboards and like you know I think that's an sign of the change too when Shaq was tearing hoops down they're like wow these guys are a little bit stronger let's uh update these hoops like I'm just surprised that they haven't you know, adjusted for, you know, six foot eight people playing. But I guess on the other end, like for us, it makes it a lot more exciting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And every other level besides the NBA, I think 10 feet is perfect. Yeah. Because you don't have those people that are seven foot or, you know, like the Daryl Dawkins chocolate thunder where, (laughs) you know, that guy had. So there was a story about Daryl Dawkins breaking a couple rims and he started answering his phone with like, 
the the rim shaker and the rim breaker (laughs) (laughs) and uh eventually you got told if he does it again he is gonna have to pay for it so uh but you have people like that but those people will always go to the nba and those people will always be the anomaly so perfect for every every level and i hope it stays that way for the nba as well yeah um final thoughts what are your what is a pro and a con of the nba so a pro is that it's an amazing platform where you know some of the the best athletes in the entire world come together and play a sport and it's exciting and i feel like the fans are growing with it and we feel excited as well and as well as you know it helps people give back you know they have the power to give back through donations through charities that they run or just you know being a good public figure a con of the nba is the kind of the money game to it now as far as like you know whoever has the most money can build the best teams or you know you see the super teams being built i wish that wasn't the case as much and i think that's that's kind of how i see the nba as far as pros and cons i mean it's a lot more diverse and a lot more interesting than that i mean you we haven't really talked about sneaker deals or anything like that because that adds a whole different turn to the game but that's overall i think what i'm feeling about the nba and he scores at the buzzer. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. You can shoot your shot and follow us on uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Follow the Facebook page. We hope you enjoyed and learned something about basketball. Shout out to all the basketball friends that listened to this if you did. Uh, we enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, that was a great outro. All I have to say left is, DJ Kelly never returned to an NBA judging deal ever again. And the game's over. Stop. <laughs>